is Jesus your number one priority? Everything that you think and do. I wanted to make that kind of a launching, a launching point. And it's a question actually that you have to answer yourself. And in fact, only you know the answer to the question. Because we have this wonderful ability to put on our Christian face, don't we? When we hang out with Christians, we can look Christian and we can sound Christian and we can speak Christian and we can seem Christian and we can do all this facade stuff. It's actually the heart that counts. And, and you know, you know in your quiet place whether God is number one. Because that's the time when you wake up. Even if you're married, you still wake up alone. Might be someone next to you, but you still wake up alone. It's not very seldom that you wake up together. Did, did, did your eyes just open now? Because mine, oh, how's that? Doesn't happen. It's usually, can you switch your alarm clock, please? I'm still sleeping. Or, But it is a question to ask. And I share this because I know what it's like to work. I worked my whole life. And you've got to put on your work hat, and then you've got to find time for your God hat. But do you fit God in enough that He remains your priority? And I'm going somewhere with this, and it's going to become practical at the end, so stick with me. Um, Matthew 7, 15. And, and the question is then, so how will, you, how will the world know, how will you know, in fact, whether you are Christ-focused? Matthew 7, 15 says, watch out for folly. He's talking about, this is... Um, Jesus talking, he's talking about prophets, actually, and he says, watch out for false prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Then he says this, by their fruit you will recognize them. Now he's talking about false prophets. But then he goes on to say, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So now he's talking about trees. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. And I think it's fair to take a parallel from that and go, by the fruit of your life, you'll know whether you are living a Christ-focused, Christ-centered life. All right. By your fruit. See, faith is not built just by coming to church. Just like the big good-looking guys in this church will tell you, you can go to gym, but if you don't exercise in the gym, nothing changes. In fact, I know most, gym, most gyms sell lots of so-called health stuff. So you can go to gym every day and eat their food and drink their coffee and not touch a machine or a weight, and it's not going to do you any good, is it? Church is the same. You can come here, but if you're not grabbing onto, holding onto, making use of the things that are taught here to start with, you will not show the fruit. James 1.22, he writes, Do not merely listen to the word 
and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what he has heard, but, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And I, I wanted to just highlight that part where it says the perfect law. Jesus came in. He said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to complete it. And in fact, the New Testament has more laws in it than the Old Testament. But Jesus came to perfect the law, to finish the law for our sake. Am I right? And so he says there, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom and continues in it. There's a response required. If you build, if you build your Christianity like that, you read, you look, you listen, and then you go away and forget. You'll get washed away. If you don't build on the foundation of Christ, you'll get washed away. And I'm not telling you that because I've read it. I'm telling you that because that happened to me. Ten years of my life got washed away because I lost my way with Christ. I hadn't built deep. I hadn't grabbed onto the promises. I didn't walk away on a Sunday and take with me what I'd learned. I listened. I nodded, smiled, gave the thumbs up. I shouted hallelujah, I went amen, and I carried on with my life. And I got caught when the storms came. And it wasn't a big storm that knocked me over, it was just a gentle erosion. Like a tree next to the river that just slowly, slowly the sand's washed away and the tree's doing okay and the tree's doing okay. And then eventually there's no more soil left. Clunk. And I fell over. And I lost 10 years of my life from God. And the only reason I'm back here is because of His grace, not because of what I did. I should be lost. I should be lost. But I've been in church long enough to see so many people come, and it's too hard. Not the sacrifice, the commitment. It's too hard. When God says A, capital, they want to go and do a small. They don't want to do what God says completely. And Lindsay and I will tell you over the years, the couples that last 20 years, the people that we've met that couldn't keep going because it was too hard to stay committed. And that's your choice. You have to commit. You have to stay. Um, end of that scripture in James, he says, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. I want to be blessed in what I do. But that means if I read something or I hear something or I'm taught something or I listen to a preach online or whatever and something stirs me, I need to own it. I can't just listen and go, wow, that was amazing. And then carry on as if I Never heard it. There's an ownership that has to take place. Leroy posted last week or the week before something um, 
something like, and it says, a person who claims it's just me and the Bible and Jesus, well, it's obviously not reading his Bible, is he? Because the Bible points completely and wholeheartedly to the church. It's impossible to be me and Jesus and not me and Jesus and the church. Jesus returns for who? The church. The manifest presence of God is revealed through the church. I met a guy and he would, I worked on him to come to church. No, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't do church. I ride my bicycle on a Sunday and I find God on the top of the mountain. I thought to myself, if you've hardened your heart to the simple truth about going to church, you're not going to hear God on the top of a mountain. See, God's voice is not a, sh- is not a shouting voice. It's a quiet, still voice. It's very easy to put a veneer on, a little barrier. Go, ah, that's not for me. God won't shout at you. He's not going to force you. The Bible often speaks of God burning in anger. But he doesn't shout. He speaks quietly. <laughs> but he speaks forcefully, doesn't he? So, everything in the Bible points to Jesus and the church. And the fruit of our lives is the outworking of what we do. And the devil's very clever. I know, I've been there. He's very clever. Creating reasons why. And it's not about this church on a Sunday. It's not about the Josh Jen. It's about the coming together. Saints coming together. And the devil's very clever. How often you find just when you want to go, and now suddenly there's a project or something that's just a little bit more important. We're not feeling well. Or family or friends, have, or you've been given a free weekend away, and, and, you, and you know that it's an important get-together, but that's just, I, I can't miss out on that. You know, I know that we don't come here, whether it's this congregation or another congregation. We shouldn't be coming here to listen to me, or Pierre, or Dudu. We come here because Jesus says, behold, I knock. And if you let me in, I'll come and meet with you. And he may meet with you with, through something that I say. He might meet with you through the beautiful worship. He might meet with you because somebody catches you at the coffee machine and just has a good word for you, an encouragement or prays with you. And maybe that's the only moment that God meets with you the whole time that you come to a meeting. But if you don't come here, you miss out. God can't speak to you. He can on the mountain. But if your heart's not to be the gathering of the saints, are you going to miss? It's a decision that you have to take. The Bible says don't forsake the gathering of the saints. And actually, when Paul talks about before I can give you solid food, you need to be able to digest milk. That's the milk that Paul's talking about. I did a quick search and um, looking at the books of the New Testament and when they were written in relation to each other. And the book of Acts was written midway between all the other books. In fact, James was written first. Who knew? And it is 
placed further down in the New Testament. But the, but the book of Acts, the, the book of Acts that was written by Luke was written, it sits midway between all the other, in the timing that all the other books were written. So isn't this ironic that when it was written, it says they devoted themselves to the gathering of the saints and the apostles' teaching and what have you, what have you. But they didn't read that anywhere. <laughs> they were just doing that. They didn't need a book of instruction to tell them, hey, you need to gather. They just did it. And that, for me, is the milk that Paul is talking about. It's like, you, you got, you, I, can't, I can't teach you the deep theological truths of Christ until you get the basics right, which is what? Devoted to prayer. Devoted to getting together. Devoted to teaching. Like, you've got to be doing those things because those are the milk things. And then when you're doing the milk things, then I can teach you the deeper things about God. And... Um, Today we want to be great theologians, don't we? We want to know all things, but we don't want to practice sometimes the basic things, you know? And um, when Jesus was asked what was the greatest command, he didn't say learn the scriptures and get clever. What did he say? You all know it. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Where's Vanessa? She was in the prayer meeting before the meeting, and she, she read it. She quoted it, and she read it. It's like, oh, Lord, thank you. Because that's what I want to talk about. You see, that was Christ's greatest command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know I'm harping on a little bit about church, I'm not saying can't, hey, my wife was in Joburg, I couldn't get to community. Then Ava was sick and she was away and I couldn't get to community. And there's reasons, sometimes, and we need to take time off sometimes. You hear what I'm saying? Going to church or getting together as saints in groups, it's not a law. It's got to be a heart. Lord Jesus, you're first. What? They're getting, I'm there. Oh, they Oh, no, I'm there. Are we going to? I'm there. We, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in. Um, I can't, sorry, I can't make it because we're getting together with them. I'll be late because that's like priority. The things of God are my priority. For me, they're my priority. For me. And I've grown to that place. And if a friend comes down or family or whatever, well, you're going to have to fit in with my life because my life is about him. That's the milk before we get into the deep, deeper things. And this whole thing about being a priority, if anyone's ever started a business, you know, you don't just start a business and work Monday to Friday. Hey, Warren, if you're going to start a business, you're going to work evenings, weekends, you're going to get up at 5, 4, 3 in the morning, you're going to do whatever it takes to make this work, this business flourish. Because it's your business and it will fail if you don't put in. That's the kind of commitment that God demands from us. Will you put him first? That doesn't matter the time or day, when the meeting's happening, when your ecclesia, when the saints are getting together. Are you committed to that first above all things? 
give you another stupid example, if I may. There's a thing called the, the Volvo Ocean Race. It's a bunch of very smart boats that cost millions of dollars, and they all built exactly the same. So there's no advantage on your boat over somebody else's boat. And they sail around the world. It used to be called the Whitbread. It's now called the Volvo Ocean Race. And there's about 12 or 15 yachts, and they do legs. So they'll start in London, and they'll sail to Cape Town. It takes about six weeks. Then they'll sail from Cape Town to Australia, then from Australia to South America, then from South America around, and then back, that kind of thing. So it's about a six-month race. And because the boats are all high-tech and they're exactly the same, it's the crew and the reading of the conditions that makes the difference. Okay? So somebody introduced me to this race a few years ago, and you could race virtually online. So you log on, and you got a boat, and you gave your boat a name, Okay, and then so did your brother and his friend and so forth. So now, and there's thousands of people racing, but it's you and your brother. No, I've got someone to race against, okay? And on the app, you can see what the wind's going to do for the next 24, 48 hours. And if you turn your boat in that direction, it'll show you where you'll be in six hours or 12 hours. And if you, you can't sail into the wind, you've got to sail, you've got to tack and, and you've got to maneuver, Okay? And if you leave your boat in that direction, it'll just keep going. Okay? And it got towards the end of the race, and I was beating my brother by about three hours because he got stuck on a plane, and he couldn't turn his boat in a different direction. So I got ahead of him. And we were away at an elders' camp, camping in a tent, and it was coming to the end of this race, and I needed to tack this boat to get it into the harbor, to get it to the finish. And I, as I worked out where I was going to be, I had to set my alarm for 2 o'clock in the morning in a tent. And Lindsay woke up, and she's like, what are you doing? Shh, shh. And I'm leaning over the stretcher with my iPad, changing the direction of my boat so I can get it into the harbor. What was I thinking? Just to beat my brother. I did beat him. <laughs> He's never forgiven me. <laughs> that kind of stupid commitment to a race, an online virtual race. Are we committed to Christ like that? Like, I'll get up at two in the morning because that's what's demanded of me. Well, sit at a hospital with somebody till two in the morning. Because that's required. I won't miss something. Because, not because of a law, but because my heart is in it. So, can I make a disclaimer here, please? It's not my demand, it's not what I demand. It's what God asks from every one of us for His sake. When I come to church here on a Sunday, whether I'm preaching, leading, or neither, I also come here with a heart attitude. Lord, what do you want to say to me? What's on your heart for me today? And it might just be in the prayer meeting and the rest of the meeting has no impact whatsoever. Well, that's very unlikely. It's very unusual. But I come here with a posture of, Lord, 
What do you want to say to me? And I would hope that you have the same posture. John 12 says this. Very truly I tell you, unless it's Jesus speaking, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if you die, you will produce many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is putting a huge burden of responsibility on you to choose to die to self, to put the things of the world, not to throw them away, not to not live in the world in a way that brings success, if I can use that word. God's not saying don't forsake the ways of the world, but put him first. Allow the things of the world to take second place to your commitment to him. And so I wanted to do something practical today. And um, we know the scripture. It was mentioned. Matthew 22 says it. Mark 12 says it. Luke 10 says it. Love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And um, I think in many churches today, there's a muscle that's non-existent. And I think in Josh Jen, I don't think it's non-existent, but it is a weak muscle, and it's something that we need to exercise. And it's this, visitors. And last week, Leroy and Marco brought a whole lot of family to this congregation. And I think, for the most part, we failed to engage them. And it got me thinking, why? And it's this. Isn't it ironic that when we see someone with someone, we leave them alone? It's a worldly way of thinking. If you go to a get-together and there's a whole bunch of people there and those people are talking, you, you don't go over and say hi, do you? Because they're taken. They're engaged. Or not engaged to be married, but but they, they're taken. They're taken care of. Does that make sense? So in church, we do the same thing. Someone walks in with someone, and we go, okay, well, they're taken care of. But here's the thing. I, only, I have a small family. I don't have a big family like Dudu. Three kids. If one of my kids arrives with someone at my house, I don't ignore the visitor. On the contrary, we engage them. Who are you? Welcome. How do you know each other? Are you friends? Do you go to them and I engage them because they've come to my house, my family. And if we're brothers and sisters, who said earlier you were talking about family? We are family. What, do, what should we be doing when a new face walks in here? We should be lining up one behind the other. Hurry up, I'm next. <laughs> make, hey, make it quick, because okay, we're about to start. I also want to say hello. But we don't do that, sadly. And so what if it's someone who you've seen here last week, or the week you've seen twice, but you still haven't been to them? You see, that's the difference between a church family 
in a church social. I'll tell you, I'll never forget years ago when I was still in Sunningdale, one of the leaders one Sunday, he walked right past me. He was my friend, and he was one of the leaders. And he didn't greet me. Yo, I was upset. I was upset. My friend. And when I finally got over myself a couple of weeks later, <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on. I know you're laughing, but I went to him. I said to him, you know, I got hurt. You ignored me. And he looked me in the eye like a father looks at a son, and he said, Tony, you're already my brother. You're already my family. I love you. But when I get to church on Sunday, and I see a face that I don't know, they're new there. And I have one chance to make a first impression. I will always walk away from those that I know to go and greet that person. And I was, wow. I never thought of that. And I tell you what, I started to put it into practice. And it wasn't a muscle that I had. I didn't have that muscle. I didn't understand that. But when he made it that clear to me, I started to exercise a muscle which I didn't have, and it started to grow. And you know what? Years later, do you know how many people have come up to me said to me, Tony, you were the guy that came to me the first time I came to this church, and you said, how's it? And I look at them blankly and go, I don't remember. Because I don't remember. I never invited them for coffee. I never had them around for a meal. I didn't go find them week number two and go and re-greet them. I just greeted them on the first day made them feel welcome. And they stayed because of that, not because of me. You know, there can be nothing worse than a visitor walking into this place and seeing the fellowship going on between everybody here that knows each other and looking at this going, wow, they love each other, but no one's loving me. It can be the worst thing for someone who comes to this place. And that's the muscle that I'm referring to. You know, the body, the New Testament talks about a body of believers that are interdependent. Not independent of each other and not completely dependent on each other, but interdependent. And so we should be safe, secure, comfortable enough in this house to go to any new face that walks in here and go, Welcome to my pad. Is this your first time? And you can put together a series of three, four, five questions that can be your standard go-to. Where are you from? Did someone invite you? Did you lose a bet? <laughs> and how they answer will lead you into a conversation. Hi, is it your first time? Yeah. Or no, I was here last week. Oh, sorry, man, I didn't see you last week. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Anyway, nice to meet you. My name's Tony. What brings you here? I just moved to Cape Town. Oh, I just moved from Joburg. Oh, really? Got a new job? Yeah. Where are you staying? Go down that road. 
I'm not talking about a sequence. I'm not talking about a pre-planned. I'm talking about having a conversation of what? Showing an interest in someone who knows nothing about this place. And then finish off. Hey, can I get you a free coffee? Let me show you how this works, and you can help yourself to as much as you want. Tea, coffee, make yourself at home. Come on. 1 Corinthians 12 describes very clearly how each person is a part of the body that plays the part, not independently of the other parts, but together. But together. Your body will not function if you're missing a part. You can. You can lose a limb and still function. But you'll function much better if you have all your limbs. This body works much better when everybody is playing their part. So today I want to focus just a little bit on us. And um, look around you. These are your brothers and sisters. And... um, You know what kept me in the early years from approaching visitors? Fear of rejection. And I'm sorry to say, but in all the years that I've approached visitors, I've never been rejected. Because anybody who comes to church voluntarily is not going to reject you. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. And this muscle needs to be practiced here. Because I'm telling you, if you can't do that here, you won't do it outside. It's a safe place. And if someone comes up here, like Dietz or Rue or Hink, you've got nothing to be afraid of. They've come here of their own free will. How much more so responsibly is it for you to go up to them and go, hello, welcome. It's lucky to have you here. So, I want to ask you, please, don't get offended with me on a Sunday. If you're talking to me, and I look over your shoulder, and I say, can you hold that thought, please? I've got to go and greet someone. Please don't be offended. Because you're already my brothers and my sisters. Except for a few, I know most of you, more than just, hello, how's it? But the next person I want to embrace. Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, Jesus writes, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, what? Everyone will know that you are my disciples that you love one another. But then here's the counter. Luke 6, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? In other words, if you love those that you know. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And then down to verse 35, he says, But love your enemies. Do good to them. 
and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. So uses the word enemies. Enemies is quite a harsh word, isn't it? But enemies is really the opposite of friends. So someone you don't know is not yet a friend. Maybe they're an enemy, but they're not a friend yet. I read a quip once that said, every person I've not met is potentially a friend. And if we don't make the effort to reach out to those that we don't know, we can never make friends with them. And so while this is a responsibility of the leaders, it's actually a responsibility of all of us to equip the saints for works of service. Jesus calls every one of us to love others. And I think in this room, we're easy to love one another. But I really want to use today to exercise, to start exercising that muscle of reaching out to those that we don't know. And... Um, this command of Jesus, I just wanted to add one more disclaimer, and it's this. Don't mix up the gift, the gifts of the Holy Spirit with loving one another. They're two separate things. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are given as God sees fit. One might prophesy, one might preach, one might be a teacher, one might, etc., etc. But the, the command to love one another is a command for all saints. And just to demonstrate how important love is, let's read a little bit of the love scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. And he writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and all knowledge. In other words, if I can know everything, how life works, how the universe works, if I can know everything, and I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Say, I am nothing. I am nothing without love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 3, he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body, to hardship, that I may boast, but do not love. I gain nothing. And then the end of 13, he says, and these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So to land this, I want to ask you to look around the room. See someone in this room that you don't know. <laughs> okay, Laura, you're off the hook. Uh, Hank, you're off the hook. Uh, Dietz, you're off the hook. You don't have to look far, guys. In fact, if you're a visitor today, I don't expect you to do anything. But if you're part of this family, I would love you to pick someone. Go to them. Or two, or three. And we're going to end with this. And go to them. Go say Hi. I've seen you here for eight months, nine months, ten months, and I don't know your name. Or I haven't ever said, hello, where are you from? What do you do? I've seen you, I just, maybe you have a word even. Can we do that? 
Can we do that? Come, let's stand. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to ask you to do that. You wanted to do stewardship teaching still. Okay. So we're going to do that for five minutes, and then go back to our seats, please. Come, close your eyes. Father God, stretch us. Stretch us, Lord. Let us be honest in this, Lord. Honest enough to go to someone. Lord, I pray that there would be no embarrassment, no finger pointing, just an open, honest, hi, I've seen you here so often and I've never spoken to you. My name is, and I hope next week I promise to greet you, at whatever that convers- however that conversation goes, Lord. But I pray, Lord, just for a, a moment of honesty, Lord, that we be open and clean. And Lord, that this would stir in us, Lord, a fearlessness just in this building, Lord, to greet every single person that comes in here in the future and make them feel welcome, Lord, safely in Jesus' name. Amen.